Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. By the end of chapter 9, in the beginning of chapter 10, seven seal judgments have already happened and six trumpet judgments have already come upon the earth. At this time, over half of the world's population have died. Now, those, that are those who are left behind after the rapture took place. So the people who have died are those who did not go to heaven, those who were left behind the rapture, and those who are left behind... Even after going through seven seal judgments and six trumpet judgments, still refuse to repent. Their hearts get harder and harder after every judgment. Even though God is doing everything he can to turn their hearts toward him, they keep getting harder and harder toward him. And we're going to see even more of that in what we're talking about tonight. Now in chapter 10, we take a little break here from the judgments of God. And so let's begin with chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. And John tells us, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voice. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Now let me stop right there. A mighty angel comes down with a rainbow on his head. Now that's interesting to me. Uh, This is the only time in the whole Bible that I find anything about an angel with a rainbow on his head. So this is a special angel. And, of course, the fact that he's got a rainbow on his head, if you know anything about the rainbow, the rainbow was the sign from God, his promise to never destroy the earth again with a flood. But here we are in the middle of the tribulation period, and so we see judgment is coming to the earth, but it's not coming by a flood It's coming a different way now. And so it's interesting to me that this angel would have the rainbow on his head. God kept his word. He kept his promise. Judgment is not coming by a flood, but it's coming a different way now. Now this angel comes down. He plants his feet, claiming victory over the land and the sea. He plants his feet on both. And he proclaims with a loud voice that sounds like a lion's roar. Now it's interesting When you do some research about a lion, a lion's roar on a quiet night, a lion's roar can be heard from eight kilometers away. And the lion will roar to claim his territory. It's what a lion does. He roars to claim his territory to let everybody who can hear him from eight kilometers away, this is my house, you're treading on my property. Hallelujah. So this angel, he sets his feet on the land and another foot on the sea, and he proclaims with the voice of an angel. This angel's voice can be heard from every direction, is what John is saying. And when he speaks, seven thunders reply back. Seven thunders respond. 
But John is told, do not write down what the thunders said. Now, I want to know what the thunder said, don't you? I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. I don't know what they say. The Bible doesn't tell us. Well, why not? Well, the only thing I can find is Deuteronomy 29, 29 that says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. So what that tells us is instead of worrying about what God hasn't told us, we need to focus on what he has told us and obey that. So I'm content with that, okay? We'll find out when we get to heaven what the seven thunders say because we'll hear them with ourselves because this is in the future. This takes place after the rapture, the tribulation period. So we will hear what they say ourselves, but until then we have to just guess. Let's go on with verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that are therein and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God shall be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So this angel begins to declare and to swear an oath. Now, who is this mighty angel? And there you'll find different uh, theories out there who this angel is. Some Bible scholars say that it is the same angel that Daniel saw in his vision of the end times. So let's turn there. Keep your finger there in Revelation 10. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12 and let's read that account. Daniel chapter 12, because uh, there's some Bible scholars that say this is the, a similar vision or maybe even the same vision that Daniel saw and John is now seeing it fulfilled. Da- Daniel chapter 12, let's begin with verse 4. I'm going to give you several scriptures tonight. I apologize for making you turn that way, but you need to hear this. You need to learn this. And if you can't find it right now, just jot these down. You can look them up later. But Daniel 12, begin with verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. How many are seeing that today? Running to and fro, and knowledge is increasing. It sure is. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on the other side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river. We held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swear by him that lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half time. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of thy holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. So then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Now let me stop right there. Now notice, when you read this, and you compare it to what we just read about the angel in Revelation 10, the image is similar. Now this angel that Daniel sees doesn't have a rainbow on his head, But notice he is standing on the water. 
And he raises his hand toward heaven and he makes an oath just like the angel in Revelation did. Now the angel in Daniel said there would be a delay for a time, times, which is plural, which means more than one, and half time. That refers to a three and a half year period. But the angel in Revelation tells John that there will no longer be a delay. Now this is about the midpoint of the tribulation when John is seeing this in Revelation 10. And the midpoint of the tribulation is three and a half years. So the angel tells Daniel it will be three and a half years. And when John sees it, that's the time frame he's seeing it in. And now the angel says there will be no more delay. Now to show the connection further between these two, the angel told Daniel his vision would be sealed up until the time of the end. Now what John sees in Revelation 10 comes after the seals are broken and the scroll has been opened. And you remember the seventh seal revealed seven trumpets that will sound. And in verse 7 of Revelation 10, it says that when the seventh trumpet sounds, all these things will be accomplished concerning the mystery of God as he declared to his servants the prophets. And Daniel was also a prophet. So what we're seeing here, the mystery of God, when he says it will be revealed, that's talking about the things previously sealed by God are now going to be revealed that there'll be no more delay. So here's what I think. I believe John was seeing part two of Daniel's vision. It may not be the same angel, but the similarities show that the visions tie together. Daniel was seeing it, but God says, I want you to seal the book, and it's going to be for a three and a half year delay. When John sees it, He's already three and a half years in the tribulation period, and the angel says, again, with his hand to the heaven, his foot on the water, he says, time will, be no more, time will be no more, the delay will be no more. So John is picking up where Daniel's vision left off. So it's amazing when you begin to see how all the books of the Bible just come together. Have you ever wondered, when will God bring justice and set everything right? I mean, when you look at the world today, you, you see people dying of cancer. You see people getting Alzheimer's and forgetting their loved ones. You see people with bipolar disorder, even happening to Christians, good people. And you wonder, why, Lord, why? When will you set things right? When will you bring justice? Well, we don't have an easy answer for that, but the Bible does tell us in Psalm 27, verses 13 through 14, the psalmist says, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God will bring it to pass in the perfect way and the perfect time. Hallelujah. And that's what John is seeing here. And so I want you to watch for the seventh angel when he sounds his trumpet. That's coming later on. We're going to talk about it tonight. But watch when the seventh angel sounds because that is when the delay is going to be over that Daniel saw and that John is hearing here. Now, the angel Revelation is also holding a book in his hand or a scroll. Now, you remember the first one had seven seals and was opened by Jesus, the Lamb of God, and it brought seven judgments on the earth. What will this one do? Well, let's read and see. Verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, 
Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So chapter 10 ends curiously as John is told to eat the book. And it was bittersweet. Though, you know, the word of God is sweet, but also judgment of God is bitter. And so when he ate it, it tasted like honey in his mouth, but when it hit his stomach, it became bitter. It upset his stomach because that's what happens when judgment comes. Now, the judgment was not on John, but it was actually God was preparing John for what he was about to do. Another possible explanation of this scroll is found in Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Ezekiel says, When I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woes. Now, some Bible scholars say this explains the Revelation scroll because it was a scroll of judgments and woes similar to Ezekiel's. And if you go on and read the rest of that story in Ezekiel, Ezekiel was also told to eat that scroll and it was sweet in his mouth and bitter in his belly. And then he was told to declare the words to Israel the same way that John was told here in verse 11 that he must go and prophesy to people, nations, tongues, and kings. Hallelujah. So when they ate the word, when John ate it, when Ezekiel ate it, it prepared them to proclaim the word of God. Now this is not the only two times when God's word was eaten. You can find another example of Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, when he said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So Jeremiah ate the word of God. You know, God's word is often referred to as, soul, as food for our souls. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4? Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What was he saying? Nothing should take the place of God's word in our life. In fact, me personally, I won't eat breakfast in the morning until I have spent time with God's word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You need to read your Bible whether you need to eat three meals a day or not. You need to read your Bible every day. This is how important it is. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 and 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So Peter says there is milk of the word. You know, we all start off with the milk of the word. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means we start off with the basics. We start off by reading the Bible. We start off by learning the Ten Commandments. We start off praying to the Lord. Those are basic Christian principles. That's the sincere milk of the Word. And then as we grow and spiritually mature, we get to the strong meat of the Word. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, 14, But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. 
even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So mature Christians, they they thrive on the strong meat of the word. What does that mean? That means a mature Christian will not only read the Bible, they'll start memorizing the Bible. They will memorize the word and hide it in their heart that they won't sin against God. When it comes to peer pressure for a mature Christian, peer pressure is what the unsaved feel around you. <laughs> peer, you put you, you got your own peer pressure. Uh, peer pressure is what the devil feels when you enter the room. When you wake up in the morning, hell should go on red alert. For a mature Christian, when you wake up in the morning, hell should sound red alert. Oh no, he's up. Oh no, she's up. Man, your battle stations, hurry, it's on. That's what a mature Christian, that's what, because we know the word of God, we're feeding ourselves. For a mature Christian, praying for 30 minutes or longer is no problem. Because we have been spending time with God, praying and seeking his face, and we love spending time with God. And for a mature Christian, you know the difference between good and evil. That's what the strong meat of the word does for us. Are there any mature Christians in the house tonight? Hallelujah. That is our goal. Go from the sincere milk, move to the strong meat of the word, and grow spiritually. Hallelujah. So here we are in Revelation chapter 11. Now about this time, we are roughly at the halfway point of the tribulation period. Let's look at verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for forty-two months. All right. Now, a measuring rod was given to John. Now, this is a measuring rod that was used for construction back in John's day, and it was given to John, and he was told to measure the temple. Now, it's interesting to note that when John wrote this, and when he had this vision, there was no temple. The temple had been destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. So the fact that he is measuring a temple, the temple confirms the temple is going to be rebuilt in the future. The first temple was built by Solomon. It was destroyed in 586 B.C., The second temple that was built by Zerubbabel was destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. Today, there is still no Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Instead, the Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock, has sat on the Temple Mount for more than 1,300 years. Now, the Temple Mount is the most fought-over piece of land in the world. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, The abomination of desolation is the sign to look for in the end times, in the tribulation period. Daniel even mentions it three different times in his book. The Antichrist will do something abominable in the temple and desecrate it. And when he does that, the Jews will realize he is not our Messiah because our Messiah would not do that to the temple. Now, the Bible says the Antichrist will enter the Jewish temple and insist that he be worshipped as God. You can read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Now, some say the Antichrist will have to strike a deal with the Muslims in order to build or rebuild the temple at the Dome of the Rock. Maybe so. I'm not sure. Again, this is a future event. But let me tell you something about the Muslims. The Muslims are looking for what they call the 12th Imam. 
they, are, they believe that imams are appointed to carry on the prophet Muhammad's message. And an imam ranks higher than all the other prophets in the Muslim religion or the Islam religion. The twelfth imam is called Muhammad al-Mahdi. And is believed by the Shiites to have been born in present-day Iraq in the year 869, but he never died. He's only gone into hiding. They believe that he will return as a Messiah with Jesus to bring peace to the world and establish Islam as a ruling faith across the globe. Ain't that just like the devil's lies? The devil knows Jesus is coming back. So the devil includes Jesus in the lie that he tells the Muslims. Can you believe that? Now think about this for a minute. This, again, we're, this, this is, I'm going I'm to expose the devil for the liar he is. Think about this from the devil's perspective just for a moment and what we know is going to happen in the tribulation period. If the Antichrist calls himself the Messiah, which he is, and if the false prophet calls himself the 12th imam, it will be possible to get the Jews and the Muslims to work together and rebuild the temple. Because the Jews are still looking for the Messiah. The Muslims are looking for the 12th Imam, which is a prophet. The Antichrist is going to have a false prophet. Can you see the liar that the devil is? And my friends... Something is going to happen. The temple is going to be rebuilt. Whether the Jews do it by themselves, whether the Jews and Muslims do it together, I don't know. But I just want to put that out there. All I know is this. Jesus is coming back and the temple will be rebuilt because we're reading about it right here. So how will it be rebuilt? I'm not sure, but verse 2 does give us a clue. Look at verse 2 again. The angel said, do not measure the outer court. It is given to the Gentiles. You need to underline that in your Bible. The outer court is given to the Gentiles. He says, don't even include that when you're measuring the temple. Now, there are archaeologists today that say the Dome of the Rock is not on the Temple Mount, but actually in an area known as the outer courts. That would mean the temple can be rebuilt on that site just as God says it will be. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, God's word is true again. Hallelujah. Now again, I don't know if that's where it will be built. I don't know how it will happen, but that's really some strong meat to think about. Amen. Let me tell you something. The, dip, the Temple Institute in Israel, their job is to make the utensils and things to be used in the temple worship. And right now, they have already been making utensils needed for temple worship. They are preparing for when the Messiah comes, they're preparing for the temple to rebuild. In fact, yeshivas, which are religious schools, are training qualified Levites now for future priesthood. And even the clothing is being made for them. My friends, even they are starting to fulfill what the Bible says is going to happen. Hallelujah. In fact, with modern building and shipping equipment, the temple could be rebuilt and fully functional in nine months to one year. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Brothers and sisters, what we're reading about is going to happen, and it can happen in our day and time quicker than it's ever happened before in history. Hallelujah. Oh, it's an exciting time to be living. Look up. Your redemption's drawing nigh. Hallelujah. No more taxes, no more bills. Come on, somebody shout with me. Come on now. Hallelujah. We're Pentecostal. We ought to shout. 
Now, in addition to the 144,000 sealed Jews, two more preachers show up in the tribulation. Look at verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So here are some two power-packed witnesses. In the midst of the tribulation, God sends them to prophesy of him for a period of three and a half years. Even in the midst of the worst turmoil the world has ever seen, the gospel is still going forth. Hallelujah. My friend, God still wants everyone to be saved, but he leaves the choice up to us. But even in the worst tribulation period, we see the mercy of God. He sends these two witnesses to prophesy the truth, and they do it in Jerusalem. Now, the Bible does not tell us the identities of these two witnesses. You, if you Google it, you'll find all kinds of theories out there. I'll just share a couple of them with you, and then you can, you can dig it and determine for yourself, all right? Because you're supposed to be digging this with me, all right? I'm not doing all your homework for you, all right? But they will have power like that of Moses and Elijah. Now, now notice it says they will prophesy for three and a half years, and they have the power to shut up heaven three and a half years. Well, who already did that before? Elijah did. It also says that they can turn water into blood. Well, who did that before? Moses did. They can call down plagues. Who did that before? Moses did. And fire proceeds out of their mouth. Who called down fire from heaven? Elijah. So some people say they are Moses and Elijah because of the similar miracles they perform, plus they both appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. So that's a strong case for Moses and Elijah. Other people say that they are Enoch and Elijah because they both were taken to heaven without dying. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed a man once to die. And so they believe since Enoch and Elijah did not die, they're going to come back and this is going to be their assignment. And you can make a strong case for that one. Now, let me give you something else to think about. Some, you know, the Bible does not even say they are men. It just calls them witnesses. So some folks say they're going to be women. I don't know, but I will say this about that. It does call them prophets and not prophetesses. So I believe they are men. So I'm going to throw that theory out, all right? I'll, I'll, I'll knock that one off. I'll check that one off your list. But, you know, who they are, I don't know. It could be two people that we've never even heard of. It could, God could bring, could create two brand new people to do this. I don't know, but you dig it and you find out and you, 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 you work it out with the Lord. But here's the thing about these two witnesses. They have a direct line to God. Whatever they ask, they get. And for three and a half years, they are invulnerable to attack until their work is done. I want to tell you something tonight. You're not going anywhere till God is through with you. 
The Bible says, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against us will prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment, we shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Friend, you ain't going nowhere till God's through with you. It don't matter what the doctor's report says. God has the final say over your life. Hallelujah. I wish somebody would give me a witness right there. That's a good shouting point right there. Now look at verse 7. When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Now the Antichrist will kill them and the people of the earth will leave their bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. The people of the world will hate these two witnesses so much they won't even bury them. They'll just leave them laying. And this will be broadcast on CNN, Fox News. It'll be broadcast all around the world. Everyone in the world will rejoice when these two people are killed. Now I want you to notice something else in those verses we just read. Because the city they die in is Jerusalem. And because it tells us specifically that it's the city where our Lord was crucified. So we know that. But notice that Jerusalem here is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. When this happens, Jerusalem will be in such spiritual state, they'll be like Sodom. You remember Sodom was filled with perversion, so will Jerusalem. And they'll be like Egypt. Egypt persecuted God's people, so will Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is the place that God said, I will put my name on that city. There's no other city in the world that God said that. God didn't say that over America. I know we like to think though he's we're his favorite, but we're not. Jerusalem, God said, is the city that I put my name on. But when this happens at this time period, Jerusalem will be in such bad spiritual shape. They'll be like Sodom and Egypt. Oh my goodness. No wonder that's the place that God sends these two witnesses to prophesy and do a lot of the majority of their work there. And so we see the people of the world's true colors. They rejoice. They send gifts to each other. Can you imagine that? Sending gifts to each other on across the world. And for three and a half, they have a three and a half day party because these two witnesses die. Now, why would God allow them to be killed? I mean, if he protected them before, couldn't he protect them this time? He could. But I want to tell you something. God always has a plan. Not only here, but even for your life, God has a plan. No matter what problem you're facing, God has a plan. You may be asking God, God, why did it happen this way? God has a plan. Do you believe that tonight? You just trust God. You hold on to him. Don't you quit because he will reveal his plan if you hold on to him. Hallelujah. Look at verse 11. 
And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly." So God resurrects them and gives them their own personal rapture to heaven. Hallelujah. Imagine the effect, the effect it will have on those who just a few moments before were rejoicing and watching on television. They were dead. They're going to see them rise up, get up on their feet, and then go right up into heaven. And they also hear the voice from heaven that says, come up here. Oh, my goodness. God has the final say. I want to tell you, you may think that something is dead in your life, but God has the final say. And when he says it can be resurrected, ain't nothing too dead that God can't bring it back to life. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but that's a word for somebody tonight. Everyone hears that voice from heaven. It's broadcast all around the world. And it will serve as a final warning to those who have rejected the gospel that these witnesses have preached For three and a half years. A huge earthquake hits Jerusalem. It swallows up one-tenth of it, which is the tithe. Ain't that interesting? Killing 7,000 men, not counting women and children. Everyone is afraid, and they give glory to God. Isn't that funny? These people were cursing God, celebrating because these preachers were dead. Now they're glory in God. You know, that's public opinion for you. That's why people, when they get saved out of fear, it don't last. Because fear will not keep you in a relationship, special relationship with God. But I want to show, I want to tell you something. God knows how to get the attention of even the hardest hearted people. And you keep praying for your lost loved ones. God knows what it's going to take to wake them up. Hallelujah. Look at verse 15. Here's what we've been waiting for. The seventh angel. And the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and are to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, And thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testimony, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. The mystery of God is revealed. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. The kingdom of God is coming. Hallelujah. It's what Jesus preached about. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's within reach. He was saying, let go of the world and grab a hold of me, Jesus said. Even the sign above the Jesus cross said the king of the Jews. Everything in the Old Testament 
through the New Testament has been pointing to the kingdom of God coming. And my friend, not only is he the king of the Jews, but Jesus is also the king of the world. And verse 15 says, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of the Lord. Hallelujah. But hold on just a minute. We're just halfway through. We're not even at the end. What, is, what does this mean? It means this is a foreshadowing of what's about to happen. They're showing John about what's going to happen, but God is getting ready to clean house. The end is so near that the saints begin to praise God, and the nations are angry. Hallelujah. Yet there are seven more judgments to come, the seven bold judgments, and then all these things will be fulfilled. Hallelujah. And here we are in Revelation chapter 12. You know, the Bible tells us that hell was created for Satan and his demons, not for people. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 14 says that hell has enlarged herself. Now, some people read that and think that hell is so big. But think about it just for a minute. If hell was created for Satan and his demons only, then if one human goes there, it would have to enlarge itself just to make room for that one person, wouldn't it? And so it does not mean that hell will have more people than heaven. No way. No way. That is a lie from the devil. Jesus died on the cross so that no one would have to go to hell. But the people we're reading about in Revelation have rejected Jesus. They have rejected his forgiveness. Their hearts are so hard that even facing judgments, they refuse to repent of their sin and instead, they curse God. And these people, if they do not take heed to these judgments that are about to come, will split hell wide open. In chapter 12, again, we take a break from the judgments of the tribulation period. And John's vision pans out to show the history of Israel and Satan, the Messiah, and angels and demons. So let's look at it in chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be de delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. Now the woman and the dragon here... Now notice John says these were signs that appeared in heaven. That word signs means they are symbolic of real things and real people. Now some people read this chapter and they see it as an allegory. An allegory is symbolic of ideas but not real things. I disagree with that. Now if you see it as an allegory... That's fine, but I'm going to preach it and I'm going to read it to you the way I believe it's symbols. These signs are symbols of real things and real people. Now, some people say that the woman in this story represents Mary. I disagree with that because of what 
the rest of the chapter tells us about this woman. Okay, and we'll get, you'll see details about that in just a minute. And because of that, I don't believe this is symbolic of Mary. Other people think the woman represents the church. And the 12 stars represent the 12 apostles. I disagree with that as well because the church did not give birth to Jesus. Jesus established the church after his birth. Because the woman here is giving birth. And we know that the baby is Jesus. It it tells us, and we'll get to the baby in just a minute. Other people think this woman represents Israel. And the sun and moon are like in Joseph's dream, and the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And the baby that she gives birth to, Jesus was born as a Jew from the tribe of Judah. So I'm more inclined to believe that. But again, if you believe something else, we'll agree, disagree, and we'll still love each other, all right? But we do know who the dragon is, and the dragon is who? Satan, that's right. The dragon represents Satan. Now, he's got seven heads and ten horns. I have never seen Satan painted like that before. Have you? So what's going on here? Now, again, these are signs, these are symbols of Real things are real people. The seven heads and ten horns represent his power, the power that he has at that time. And we'll explain more of that in chapter 14. That'll be at another time. But notice that he slings one-third of the stars down with his tail. Now, Isaiah and Ezekiel tell us that Satan led a rebellion in heaven against God, and one-third of the angels followed him. And so we know the dragon here is Satan, represents Satan, and uh, those are the angels that followed him. And we know the baby is Jesus because it tells us plainly he will rule all nations with a rod of iron, and the child was called up to God and to his throne. And so he was born, but also it shows us his ascension up to heaven. And Satan wanted to kill Jesus as soon as he was born. He was the one who put it in King Herod's heart to have all the babies, twelve, uh, two years and under, killed. And so that was Satan trying to devour the baby, all right? Look again at verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. That's three and a half years, by the way. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Okay, so this vision that John has now jumps to the middle of the tribulation period. Israel is spared from the wrath of the devil for three and a half years because of the peace treaty they make with the Antichrist. Now it tells us in what we just read, Michael and his angels fight against Satan and his demons. Now the Bible tells us that Michael is the archangel who guards Israel. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, you can read that. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even at that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So the angel is talking to Daniel, 
about the Jewish people who will be saved and spared during the tribulation period. That's exactly what John just saw in Revelation 12. Now, Satan and his demons are thrown to the earth, and he is not happy. In fact, the Bible calls him the devil. The word devil means accuser. And, you know, the thing, that's the thing about the devil. The devil can't make us do anything. All he can do is accuse us of things. That's all he can do. He can tempt you, and he can accuse you of something, whether you did it or whether you didn't. He's the accuser of the brethren. And that's all he does. But he cannot make you do it. There's always a choice in every temptation. And if you commit sin, it ain't the devil's fault. It ain't God's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault if we commit sin. Now, somehow, and I don't quite understand it, and maybe some of you all can explain it to me later, but somehow Satan is granted access to God where he accused Job before God in the book of Job and where he accuses us. He accuses us. Somehow he's granted access there. But what we just read in, John, in Revelation 12, John sees the end of that, that he is barred from ever coming before God ever again, ever accusing anybody of anything again. John sees that. Hallelujah. And what a time of rejoicing that was for John. Now look at verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. And woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Now there's those same words, time, times, and half a time, same words that the angel used in telling Daniel. So again, that shows another correlation between the Revelation and Daniel. Now it tells us they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Who is the they they're talking about? He's talking about the brethren. Because Satan was the accuser of the brethren and those that keep the commandment of the Lord. So the brethren and the Christians, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Well, what testimony did they have? Their testimony is, I put my faith in Jesus and his blood that was shed for my sin. It's the same testimony that all Christians have. If you have confessed your sins to Jesus, he has washed you with his blood and covered you. Hallelujah. And we've been declared righteous before a holy God. God because of Jesus. That's another reason why the church will not have to go through the tribulation period. Why? Because what we've seen here are the judgments of God for the sins of mankind. As Christians, we've been forgiven of our sin, washed clean. Hallelujah. There's no reason for us to go through the tribulation period unless though, unless you reject Jesus, turn your back on him, and are left behind when the rapture takes place. You don't want to do that. And the Bible also tells us they did not love their lives. In other words, they were willing to die for their testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the dragon, also known as the serpent, goes after the woman. But she is spared from the dragon for three and a half years, or as the Bible told us, 1,260 days. Now, those who think the woman represents the church uses these verses to show 
that Christians will have to go through the first half of the tribulation, but they will be spared from the judgments like Israel was in the land of Egypt. That's what they say. However, if you remember the story of Israel in Egypt, the Israelites were affected by the Nile River turning to blood. They did have to go through the plague of frogs. They did have to go through the plague of lice. And if they did not apply the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, their firstborn would have died. So again, that's those who believe the woman represents the church. Again, I believe the woman represents Israel because in the, because in the assemblies of God, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. That means the church is not in the tribulation period. We're already in heaven, and all this is happening on the earth. Therefore, I believe the woman represents Israel, and Satan is now attacking her. Even down through history, you can see anti-Semitism which is hatred of the Jewish people. You can read about it in the book of Esther when Haman tried to kill them all. You can see it with Hitler and the Nazis, how they tried to kill millions of of Jewish people throughout history. You can see that it is all Satan behind all those attacks against the woman and her children. Look at verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So when the dragon could not wipe out the woman with a flood, he goes after her offspring, which in this case are the tribulation saints. And the last half of the tribulation will bring intense persecution against these people and their testimony for Jesus Christ notice that's what gets them attacked by the devil but it also is what gets them saved by God hallelujah and you know all Christians when you think about it all Christians are joined with God's covenant with the seed of Abraham because of Jesus you know, Jesus, Abraham was a Jew, and, and the covenant was made with his descendants. Jesus came through the descendants. He was a Jew. He was born as a Jewish man. And so even though we are Gentiles, we believe on Jesus as our Savior. And so we have a lot in common with Jewish people when it comes to where the faith came from. And one of the reasons we get attacked today is because Satan hates God's people. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I hate him too. Amen? Satan is the only person you can hate and still go to heaven. Hallelujah. And so my friends, in wrapping this up tonight, it's going to be a scary time living in the tribulation period for those who are left behind when the rapture takes place. And so I tell you today, whatever you do, make sure everything is right between you and God now while there's still time. Today is still the age of grace and mercy. God's hand and mercy are still open out to all of those. His ears are open to the cries of those who will call upon him and repent. His ear is open even the tribulation period as the gospel is being preached by the two witnesses and the 144,000 sealed Jews. God is still wanting people to be saved. And my friend, whatever you do, Hold on to God. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Jesus is coming soon. And my friends, our lost loved ones, God loves them even more than we do. So keep praying. 
keep seeking God. Hallelujah. This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.